This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's been great to have Tony and Kay with us for the weekend. Um, Tony leads Gateway Church in Leeds, is also part of the uh, Christ Central Apostolic team that I serve on as well. They're very good friends of ours. We've had a, a great time with them. We had them over for a meal on Friday. And Saturday we had an elders meeting with Tony and an elders and wives meal with Tony and Kay last night. Had a great time with them and very much looking forward to what Tony has to bring to us this morning. So can I welcome Tony as he comes to speak, please. I think you're going to have a wild time with Seatan next week. I'm uh, really jealous. Uh, I think a man that's gone through all that will have a lot to offer and a lot to impart. Can I also say, don't rule yourselves out from blessing him. Please come hungry. Come hungry to all that he has to impart into you. But... uh, in, in the UK, we're particularly good at turning ourselves into spectators very quickly. And that's not how the body of Christ is designed. It's designed to be a blessing to one another. And as Satan is around you, can I just say, come with hunger to learn what God has in store to give to you from him. But also... Over the coming week, can I encourage you to be praying, what does God want to give to Satan while he's with you? And don't just say, oh, well, that's up to the elders to do that. They'll do that. They'll pray about that. They'll impart something into him. No, God has a way of using everybody in these things. And normally using the person that least expects to be used. Okay, so if you put yourself in that category, I won't have anything to bring. Can I just warn you about a surprise? Because God may just give you something to bless him with that actually will help to advance the kingdom in Cambodia. So please pray about that. Don't rule yourselves out. Really, it's good to be here. Uh, We were with you in spring, sorry, in September, when we were praying for Ray. recognition of his eldership that was a very exciting evening we loved that evening i loved the way we overfilled the room in the hotel and everybody that was walking past in the hotel was wondering what on earth is going on in there that's how church should be what on earth is going on in there it was a great evening it's been a thrill to catch up with the eldership team as graham's already said and we had a great morning yesterday just discussing Just starting to uh, light the blue touch paper on what I believe is a prophetic call on you as a church to be an apostolic resource base. And what does that mean? And what does it mean to be resourced, to be able to do that? Well, we've given all the problems to your elders. I just suggested a few things. And can I say, can you pray for your eldership team? This is a big thing. One, that there's a real sense of ownership about being an apostolic resource base. And what does that mean? What does that look like in 2013 and 14? What does that look like? What does that look like for Jubilee Church Derby? 
And also, trusting God will resource that so you can be ascending church, but not at the expense of home base. So that home base is served well, that home base is strong and vibrant and full of life. What does that look like? Please pray for the grace of God on your eldership team. Okay, that's not because they're weak and useless. It's because these are big things. These are incredibly important parts of the kingdom to get right. And they need the grace of God with them. And they need you with them to build that in place. So, please pray. We will do our level best as friends in Christ Central to support, equip, provoke, encourage. Particularly encourage steps of faith in this. And uh, we're... I'm just excited about what will emerge. It's great what's here now, but I'm looking ahead to what is five years down the road. So uh, I think you're in for an exciting ride over the next five years. Uh, Kay and I are going to uh, Ray and B's for lunch. Please pray for Ray. They don't have a dishwasher, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we need to take a special collection of ink for that. No, no, no. <laughs> It's okay, Ray. All your secrets are safe with me. <laughs> we had a great time. I, I love their humour. I love their openness. I love what you see is what you get. There's no masks. They are a brilliant couple and a real gift to you. And so we're having lunch with them later. And then later this afternoon we've with your wider leadership team. And uh, Kay's going to be taking a lead in that. And hopefully we'll feed them and stimulate them this afternoon. We want to leave a real blessing. We love your church. We've known Graham for how many years now, Graham? Is it 20? Not quite 20 years. And uh, I hope this doesn't sound patronizing, but he's become like a spiritual son to us. More now a spiritual contemporary. We love Sarah, as we got to know Sarah. The kids are just superb. And they do us the highest honour. They treat us like grandparents, which is an immense honour for us. So if you saw little Reuben this morning, he came and ran and jumped into my arms. And that is very special, being grandparents. We treat that with uh, very high honour indeed. I want to talk to you about the message of James. You think, where's that come from? Well, we've recently finished a series in the epistle or the letter of James in Gateway. And to be honest, it really got hold of us. We love doing it. Anybody who's read the letter of James, and what's great is it's nice and short, so you can do it fairly quickly, is James could have been a Yorkshireman. Always straight and direct. And we like that up in Yorkshire. Uh, He gets to the point straight away. No beating around the bush. None of Paul's big waffles. He gets straight in and tells you how it is. Sorry, I do like Paul. And uh, we've got a dear friend uh, who hope doesn't listen to this podcast. And she was telling us once that she was reading a commentary. And it talked about Pauline's theology. Uh, she hadn't realised it was Pauline theology. And so she asked us who Pauline is in the New Testament. So we had to explain to her that it was actually Pauline. We love Paul, and his theology is outstanding. But James is a different kettle of fish. He's straight, he's direct to the point, but he's pure gold. 
And we loved it in the church. And it's really had a massive impact on us. And when you read James, and the beauty of it being short is you can read it in one go very easily and kind of remember most of it. Immediately his passion comes across. And I want to compare it. Last year I had the pleasure of going to the Olympics. And we went to the 100 metres final. It was an amazing evening. And I was there with Mark, one of my sons, and his father-in-law. And we got these amazing seats just at the start line. And who else but Usain Bolt is there. Those of you who know athletics, you'll know him. I think he's pretty famous beyond that. And all the athletes are getting ready. And obviously part of their training technique is to get into the zone. Put the fact out that there was 80,000 people watching them. There's millions on TV. There's a buzz in the atmosphere that Usain Bolt got the same applause as any of the GB sports people. So when a, a GP athlete came onto the track, the crowd erupted. There was nice, polite UK applause for everybody else. But for the GB team, whether they came first or last, it didn't matter. They got this huge ovation. Usain Bolt comes on, he gets the same ovation. And everybody else is in the zone. You can see them all focusing in, not caring about the cameras, not looking at the... Usain Bolt's going around, waving to the crowd like this, doing his... I can't really do it, but that... And, uh, and he's, just, he's just lapping it up. And you think... Is he taking this seriously? Does he realise it's the 100 metres Olympic final? <laughs> you know, this is as big as it gets in his career. Does he realise that? Then the hush comes. And it gets all ready. And then the race. The gun goes, the race goes. Now Usain Bolt, I'll openly admit, is not the fastest starter. Now it's all relative. He's a lot faster than me. Okay, but <laughs> he's not necessarily the fastest starter. But once you see him get into the stride, seven out of the eight runners broke ten seconds. Right? Most of us in this room, we'd be puffing and panting to break 20 seconds over the same distance. The only reason number eight didn't break ten seconds was that he pulled his hamstring and he still finished in 11 seconds which is pretty impressive for a pulled hamstring. First seven all broke 10 seconds, which is amazing. He made the other six look slow. He just starts off at about 25 metres, and he just extends his legs, and he just floats past 9.63 seconds. It is awesome. The first four could have won the previous Olympic 100 metres final with their times. The crowd are going mad. It was just an amazing experience watching this happen. And what we saw there was not only somebody who starts the race, and maybe not the fastest, but he finishes incredibly well. And that's where his skill is. He finishes well. And when you read James, and we will just read a few verses in a second, you 
get this passion from him immediately. Just like Paul, and I personally think that Paul wrote Hebrews, but there's a whole sort of debate on who wrote Hebrews. So just like Paul and the author of Hebrews, James carries a passion for Christians to finish the race. Not just to start the race, but to finish it. And to persevere until you get to that finish line. And James puts it like this. To receive the crown of life. To receive the crown of life. And this is a key apostolic message. Not just entering the race, but finishing it and getting the crown of life. Just start with me at James chapter 1. Just read the first three or four verses. Jump to verse 12, and then we'll jump right to the end, verses 19 and 20 of the final chapter, chapter 5. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Just flick over to chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from the death and cover over a multitude of sins. James, before his conversion, was a Jew. And in true Jewish writing style, he bookends his letter with his key theme. This is the big message that he wants to get over to the people who receive his letter. And his big theme is this. Staying on the path and finishing the race. His concern is crystal clear. He recognises that trials will come in the Christian life. He's not denying it, he's being honest about it. Trials will come. Here's a cheery message for you. It's a promise. Don't think becoming a Christian, oh, then it all is trouble-free, no problems, no difficulties, no pain. No, it isn't. Trials will come. And that they test your faith. Trials of many kinds will come, so not just one. So you're just thinking, well, get rid of the one, and then it's all plain sailing. No, trials of many kinds, he says. And the, by definition, they test your faith. He recognises that we can wander from the truth. There in the end of chapter 5. But despite all this, his passion for every believer, so that includes everyone who believes here, 
and in every century between when he wrote this and now and in the future, receives the crown of life. You see, trials to James are not something to get miserable about and to see them as a major error. He sees them in the light of how they develop Christian character. Usain Bolt, as natural as he looks when he runs, even Usain Bolt had to train. He didn't just turn up one day and could run 100 metres in 9.63 seconds. He had to train. Any athlete will tell you that they train when the cameras are not on them, and they train and often it hurts. They go through pain barriers. It's interesting, we now live in a society that's pain averse. But we've got at least one doctor here, we may have more. But pain isn't always our enemy. Pain can sometimes be a friend. Pain can say, don't do that. There's damage there, needs to heal. Pain can also be a sign of stretching. Pain can be a sign that your capacity is being increased. And it's painful just being stretched that extra bit. And James is saying here, look guys, we need a sign of maturity to understand this. Trials are going to come. And trials of all kinds. And these trials will test our faith. But what they're doing is, it's stretching our faith. It's growing our faith. It's developing our faith. And it's developing our perseverance. It's giving us the steel to finish the race. It's putting the grit into your life to finish the race. It's giving you the stamina to finish the race. Don't avoid this pain. Embrace it. So you'll often hear athletes, top quality athletes especially, say no pain, no gain. It's not because they like pain. But James isn't here saying, I want all Christians to enjoy pain. I'm going to turn you all into sadists and we're all going to find as much pain as we can possibly bring on ourselves and revel in it. No, most people don't like pain. That's normal. I don't like pain. But maturity says, actually in this context, this pain is the pain of me growing. Of me getting some backbone put into me. Me getting some perseverance and stamina. Because this isn't a hundred meter race. This is a big marathon. Just had one of our ladies in the church go and run the Venice Marathon. Didn't know they did one. And she was very honest. She chose Venice 1 because she'd never been there. She thought her husband, it would be good for her husband to take her there. And secondly, there's not many hills in Venice. (laughs) I thought that was shrewd thinking. Uh, Very shrewd thinking. She's been training for the last nine months. She's incredibly fit, stick thin, uh, no fat on her at all. I won't make any comparisons, but I mean, she is fit. 
She's been running 60 miles a week for the last three months. She said she hit 18 miles and suddenly this pain came on. And she said, I had a decision then. Do a give in or do a push through? She said, as I'm running, I'm trying to assess, is this because I've broken something or I've pulled a muscle or is this just the pain or that I've got to push through? Because I know I've completed 26 miles before. I know. Anyway, she pushed through and she got the badge and uh, she finished in uh, three hours, 50 minutes, which is not bad. Under four hours is pretty good for an amateur. But it's normal to hit those things when you're running such a long distance. It's normal when you're in training to feel pain. That's how you're being stretched and developed. So as I said, maturity isn't going around saying, bring on more pain. Maturity is when it does come, recognizing that God is working it to our good. It's a hard message, isn't it? See, James could have been a Yorkshireman. These muck out there, you have to understand. And recognizing that when the, when the trial comes, don't just say, oh no, I can't cope with this and run away from it. Say, God, give me the grace to grow through this. Give me the grace to embrace it in a way that it develops me, develops my maturity, develops my perseverance so that I can finish the race and get that crown of life. That's his apostolic passion here. We're spiritual athletes, as well as physical athletes. Well, I'm not a physical athlete, as you can see, but uh, spiritual athletes. And his passion and the calling on each one of us is to finish the race and get that crown of life. Folks, we need to embrace trials, as James said. We also, from these two passages, we also need friends to look out for us. There in chapter 5, if anybody wanders from the truth, if you're there, bring them back. It's not just about our attitude to trials. It's not just about the way we embrace trials with faith, knowing that we have a sovereign God that will limit every trial, may feel stretching, may push us, may test our faith, but he limits it to what we can carry because he's a gracious God. But we also need friends to look out for one another. And we want to build churches that genuinely look out for each other. If we just start to wander, there's a friendly arm that comes around and says, here's the path. And we need to be people who, one, are looking out for each other, and two, don't react negatively when an arm comes around our shoulders and say, come on, back on the path. We don't want to be people who say, how dare you put your arm around me and tell me that I'm not on the path. No, no, no. I love it when friends of mine say, Tony, come on. That's the kind of team you want to be in. And so here James is giving 
wisdom for life. He's giving wisdom for Christian life. How to finish the race. One, get your attitude right with regard to trials. See with the eyes of faith, not react with pain. Secondly, a community that's looking out for each other. Remember, if you bring somebody back and put them back on the truth, you save them from a multitude of sins. The third thing that as you read through James, because his whole advice is about finishing the race. And so firstly, attitude with regard to trials, mature attitude. Secondly, friends that look out for each other. The third thing is you get, and I'm paraphrasing James, but his emphasis is don't water down the Christian life. Don't water it down. How we run the race is as important as finishing it. So James 1.22. We all got your helmets on. Because James kind of is direct. I've warned you, haven't I? Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's not exactly sugar-coated. It's direct, straight to the point. Now, don't let his directness overshadow the quality of his advice. Okay, if you're not used to that level of directness, don't let it spoil the quality of his advice. Don't just listen to the word, do it. No ifs, no buts, no maybes, no ambiguities. In fact, he goes further and he says, if you just listen to the word and you don't put it into practice, it's self-deception. Now that's quite heavy, isn't it? If you listen to Scripture and you don't put it into practice, it's actually the equivalent of self-deception. He says you're deceiving yourself. Scripture is a grace gift from God. It's a gift to equip us is a gift to reveal things to us, to teach us, to train us, to rebuke us, to guide us. So my encouragement is, why ignore it? It's a grace gift. And surely our views, if we say, well, I don't agree with it, or I don't like what it says, or it's painful what it's saying to change, Surely our views, likes and dislikes are not more important than God's. This is God's will. And James is saying, come on folks, if we're to run this race and finish it, another key in this is listen to the word and do what it says. Don't complicate it. It really is that simple. Don't self-deceive by listening to it and then forgetting it or ignoring it. In James 1.26, he says this. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. 
actually right throughout his letter, James has a lot to say about the tongue. Have a read of chapter 3 when you've got a few moments. You'll see how much he has to say about this. And he says, Consider yourself religious or righteous, and yet you do not keep a tight rein on your tongue. Again, you deceive yourself. Self-deception again. The tongue is an amazing gift. It can communicate the entire power and grace of the gospel. Or it can rob the gospel of all its grace and all its power. It can build up. It can destroy. It can bring healing and it can hurt. And James is saying, if you don't get control of your tongue, you're not a mature Christian. When I see somebody who uses their tongue wisely, then I see some maturity. Then I see somebody who really knows what the religion of Christianity is all about. Now what's interesting with James is, he didn't learn these things at theological college, or as some of you have done leadership training within Christ Central or New Frontiers, you didn't learn it there. He learned it by growing up with Jesus. See, James was one of the brothers of Jesus. Here's a little test, just to wake you all up. Jesus had three other brothers other than James. Anybody know who they are? Simon, well done. Joseph and Judas. And he also had a number of sisters, but for some reason their names aren't included in Matthew's record. You can look it up in Matthew 13 if you want, verse 55. Now, I don't know if you're the eldest in your family of your siblings, not siblings, brothers and sisters, Siblings, yeah. Or whether you have an elder sibling. Okay, because there tends to be a different way you view each other, whether you're the eldest or not. James was not the eldest, Jesus was. And I suspect Joseph was the next, because he was obviously named after his dad. So James comes in the pack somewhere. And in my experience... Not every sibling relationship is amazing. And especially with the eldest. There's something about the eldest. And yet, James lived with Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about living with the perfect brother? I mean, it's bad enough having an elder brother. And the elder brothers already think they're perfect anyway. But he was. <laughs> and he was always right. <laughs> I mean, it's infuriating enough normally. But when he's actually right, and he is perfect, can you imagine how James may have had a hang-up here? And yet, we read that magnificent opening. James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
he'd come to the point where he saw that his brother was the Messiah and actually offered himself as a servant. I tell you, it's a remarkable conversion story for James. It's bad enough loving your older brother without seeing him as Messiah and Lord. Nonetheless, James grew up with the Son of God. James didn't learn Christian character from a theological seminary. He learned it by watching Jesus. In fact, James's letter is really an exhortation, be like Jesus. Be like him. I saw the way Jesus spoke to people. I saw the way he could impart life into people and revelation. I saw the difference between setting off a firestorm and bringing life. I saw somebody who read scripture and put it into action. You think, well, Jesus had an advantage, he was the son of God. I think Jesus, in his humanity, had to learn scripture. But also, in his passion, he wanted to obey it because he loved God. Folks, James's call is saying, be like Jesus. Let him be your highest example. This is how Jesus lived. If you want to be a follower of Christ, here's the best advice. Look after your tongue. You may say, but I was right to say that criticism. What's the fruit? I was speaking to somebody recently, and they said, but I was right to say that. I said, but the fruit is this destruction. So actually, would it have hurt to keep quiet? What fruit are you trying to do? Build the kingdom or destroy it? Undermine people's faith or build them up? It's not about our rights. It's about what builds the kingdom. It's about what fulfills God's purposes. It's about what edifies the church. We don't stand on our rights. Folks can encourage you as a sign of maturity, bridle the tongue. Learn how to use it to bless and not curse. Learn how to use it to build up and not destroy. That doesn't mean he can't give frank advice. James is a classic example. He gives very direct advice. And he doesn't always sugarcoat it. But I tell you what, you follow his advice, you'll find life. And freedom and maturity. Folks, God wants you to finish the race. But he wants you to do it well. And the thing about this race is, it's not all about one winner. It's about getting everybody over the line. So it's not that you're going to get there at any cost, even if it's doing down somebody else or criticizing them or undermining them. 
to get there first. Now it's about you crossing the line and saying, all my friends have crossed the line as well. Everybody in Jubilee has crossed the line. And I've had a little part to play in that. Rather than seeing somebody damaged halfway along the course, why have you come out of the race? You should have heard what that person said about me. I hear these things, folks. Why have you dropped out of the race? should have seen the way I was treated. Why have you dropped out of the race? Well, I stopped obeying Scripture. It was a bit hard. Didn't really agree with it. And then in James 4, verse 2. An amazing passage. You want something, but don't get it. And you kill and covet. But you cannot have what you want. You'll quarrel, sorry, you quarrel and fight. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Another way of finishing the race is to realize that God is for us. And he wants to give us everything necessary to complete the race. And probably more. Because he wants us to finish the race with a big smile on our face, not just scratch, get there by scratching on the ground by the skin of our teeth. And what James is saying is, some of you here, you don't have because you've never asked God. When our children were young, I never remember our children having a problem with asking for things. I, I just don't remember ever there being an issue of them asking things. Now, we couldn't always give them what they asked for, unlike God, but there was never an issue. God wants that same childlike faith from us all. And if they didn't get it from me, they'd go to mum. They wouldn't say, oh, Dad's refused to give us this. They'd go to Mum and say, can we have? And we had to learn what Dad said or what Mum said. Now, folks, the number of places I go and say, I don't have this. I've asked the elders for it. I've asked my life group member for it. I've asked my Mum and Dad for it. I've asked my friend for it. I say, have you ever asked God for it? Your elders are not God. Your life group leader is not God. They're not eternal. They're not all-powerful. They don't have all things at their disposal. But you have a direct line to God. Why, why are you going to them? They may carry responsibilities in the church, and please respect them for that and honor them for that, but they're not God. They were never designed to be. You make them God, they'll only let you down. Now, as royal priests, as wonderful, dear children, you've got access right to the Father. Come to the Father and say, Dad, can I have? Now then, James says, 
Some of you don't have because you don't ask, but others of you, you do ask, but your motives are all wrong. So you still don't get. Now this is part of maturity. Sometimes a no from God is not because he doesn't love you, it's because your motives were wrong in asking. But it's interesting, we live in such a consumer society that we place that on God. Well, he's just there as a glorified version of Sainsbury's, and he's free. We don't have to pay. He loves me a lot. Go to God, ask him what I want. He'll just give it to me. Well, sometimes a no from God is because he wants to change the motive that was prompting that request. Because perhaps it was unrighteousness and doesn't belong in a child of God. Rather than just complaining, I keep on asking God and I never seem to get anything. See the purpose behind what God's trying to do. Because there must be a purpose because God's inclination is to bless you. And actually is now is a blessing because it's training you and developing you. Now this is where we need to have mature churches. New Frontiers was once called a a movement full of small churches. And in the early days, that is an accurate description. It's changing. But with that new churches or small churches, there is a kind of an implication. New Frontiers is also a lot of immature churches. And we need church planting, and he's still at that very fragile stage, and he's still trying to gather people in, and he's still working out who's committed and who isn't, and are we all on the same page with regard to values and vision, and is there a real sense of community? You can feel. But actually, we need big, grown-up churches to reach the ends of the earth. And what I mean by big, grown-up churches, not just necessarily churches with big pockets and lots of money to spend, but people who can handle trials maturely. People who can speak to each other in ways that edify and don't destroy. People who can go to God for themselves. So rather than say, oh, you know what? There was no tea and coffee this morning. The elders can't even organize a tea and coffee rota. Don't complain about the elders. Say, God, will you provide the resources in the church so that we can have good tea and coffee every? Now, that's a dangerous prayer, by the way, because whenever you ask God to provide something, he often makes you the solution of the prayer. So I'll just warn you. But so often we get into this consumer attitude that church is just an extension of the consumer state. They're there to provide all my needs. The heating wasn't right this morning. This isn't a criticism of the PA, by the way, because I thought you worked incredibly hard. Did you hear the PA crackled this morning? Can't even get the PA right. Seats aren't comfortable. Lighting's a bit odd. Think, what did you come to church for? It's to worship God, not to test the seats. We have a wonderful woman who serves in our refreshment team. And we are conscious about standards. We do want to serve people well. 
But every time she serves on our tea and coffee roads, she thanks me for the privilege of serving. She's 87, and she, she makes tea. That's what she likes doing, making tea. And we've tried over the last 15 years to persuade her that when she's emptied the teapot, it's worth emptying out the old tea bags before you put the new tea bags and make a new pot. So I went to help her once, and she said, I can't seem to get any tea out of this, and lifted the bag. And I'm not kidding, there was 52 tea bags in this. And every time she was making a new brew, she just added more tea bags in. Now, you could say, well, for the sake of quality, sack her. Just, you know, and she's old. She no, no, I love her to bits. She is a role model for every person who serves in Gateway. And do you know what? She's the only person... And I'm not going to criticize my elders, but even my elders don't come to me and thank me to serve like she does. Every week, thank you so much for letting me serve. Do you know what? I would, I would defend her against anything. Folks, let's not follow the way of Satan and criticize our own body and criticize one another. If there's a gap in this church, and I tell you what, there will be gaps in this church. There will be shortfalls. And I know you won't like this, but there'll be shortfall because you're in it. Because you're not perfect. And neither is the person sat next to you or the person in front of you or behind. If you're looking for perfect church, you're going to have to wait until you die. And then you can be with Christ and all things will be perfect. But this side, you're not going to get it. But you're as much as a solution as anybody else in this church. To everything in this church. I've heard that person isn't getting visited. If you can't go and visit them, pray for God to release the grace for somebody to do that. Don't just say, I'm going to get upset at the elders. The elders only have 24-7 like you. And they're not meant to do all the ministry in the church. It's meant to be a body. It's designed to be everybody working together. And as every part does its work, the body builds itself up in love. Can I invite you to get into this adventure? Can I I invite you to become part of a mature church instead of immature Christianity? Can I invite you to be like Christ, who for the joy set before him went through the cross? He didn't enjoy the cross for one millisecond. In fact, he asked his father, please, is there any other option? Any other way, but not my will, your will. That treat each other with dignity, And are careful what they say to each other. And in fact, go out of their way to find things to build one another up. That see trials as vehicles for God to develop us and mature us, rather than something to complain about or moan about. This is mature church. Gets real, doesn't it? I can see I've got most of your attention, but you're not necessarily liking the medicine. It's a bit like when we gave 
that horrible pink medicine to our children when they were young. I don't know if they still do it, but it seemed to be the answer from the GP to every ailment. And he poured down this pink medicine, and it was disgusting. And he could see them, and sometimes you'd have to grab the mouth in a way where it just bypassed their mouth and went straight in the throat. Folks, we need to have a grown-up view of Christianity. It's not easy, because we live in a fallen world. Not because God's not easy, it's the world that's not easy. But God will use everything to our good. If you want to be an apostolic resource base, and I would ask you to pray with the elders for faith to be able to rise to take on that amazing calling. doesn't mean that you're better than any other church. just means you're fulfilling what I believe is a prophetic calling on you as a church. But you need to be grown up. You need to be mature. You need to handle things. You need to treat each other with huge dignity. You need to be the kind of church that James had the passion for and to be rooting that you all cross the line and finish well. Lord, that's what I pray for Jubilee Church. I pray for everybody here. I know some faces. I don't know others. But my passion is like James, that every person here that knows you finishes the race well and gets a crown of life. I pray, Lord, that you would go to work in this church by, by raising the maturity of every member. Folks, that's not an easy prayer that I'm praying for you because I'm praying for some of you trials and hardships because that's the way maturity and perseverance comes. Lord, I'm praying for huge grace to be able to edify one another, to look out for one another to bless one another, to build each other up. And to be those that come to you with right motives and ask. Let the Spirit just come on you now. Some of you may be conscious that perhaps your mouth hasn't always blessed people. It has criticized and condemned. Just turn to God now and say, I'm sorry, I want to change. Just offer your tongue to God's service and not to your emotions. Folks, if you've struggled with Scripture, can I just ask you to reach out for God's grace to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer? And do it with joy. If you've been one that thinks for churches, churches there, it exists to bless me, just reach out to God and say, give me another understanding of church where I'm here to bless everybody else. And most of all, set your heart on finishing the race well. No matter what trial comes, I'm going to finish this race. 
because I'm going to look Jesus in the face and be awarded the crown of life, like a crown on the head. Folks, it makes all the training, all the pain worthwhile because you have your sights set on that. Glorify yourself in this church, Lord. Speak now into people's hearts and minds. Raise up an apostolic resource base here in Derby. Release resources to equip and strengthen this church and to release to the nations. For your glory, Lord, we ask this. Lord, I pray that you'll release gifts for seed time next week. Release them even now, embryonically. I believe God's speaking to some of you. Words of prophecy for Seatown in Cambodia. I believe God's speaking to some of you to release finance to give to him. I believe God's speaking to some of you to become intercessors for the work there in Cambodia. Spirit is powerfully here. There is something about this connection with Cambodia. You know, there's something in the purposes of God. You can I can feel the spirit here, it's hovering over you. There's something in the purposes of God about this meeting with Satan. Mighty God. Keep receiving. This is not, it's not just about Cambodia, it's about expanding you for the nations. But God's going to use Cambodia for this. Offer yourself as living sacrifices right now to God's purposes for Jubilee. Lord, we pray, bring more resources into this church. We pray for people to be saved and added and then raised up as strong, passionate disciples. We pray for other men and women to come who are eager to run the race with this church, to be added to this church. We pray, will you bring gifts of people with all kinds of experiences, gifting and background to strengthen this church, equip this church, Lord, we don't want to be reaching Cambodia and forgetting that we want to reach the people in Derby. So we pray for people to be added, to be fishers of men and women here in Derby. We pray for pastors and teachers to be added to this church. We pray for people with all kinds of gifting that will serve and bless this church. We pray for more children's workers with passion to raise up. We pray for more youth workers. Thank you for those working with the youth right now, Lord, but we pray for even more. We, we pray for more people who will raise up strong disciples who will care for the sheep. We pray for more finance to be released. Lord, I don't hear this wrong. I believe the poorest person and the richest person have the same status in God's eye. 
But I pray for some rich people to be added who feel the call to use their wealth for the kingdom and not just for themselves. Lord, I pray for artists to be added that will change the world of media and arts. Lord, spirits at work here. God's growing Christ central into a kingdom movement, not just a church restoration movement. And there's something here being birthed about the nations, but also releasing you to be ambassadors for Christ in your workplace, in your university, in your family, in your street, in your lodgings, where you socialize with your friends. It's not just about the elders. The calling is on you to be salt and light but supporting each other, caring for each other, encouraging each other to that end. Spirit of God, we pray for the more here. Dear Lord, we thank you for all you're doing in Jubilee, all you've done this morning. God, we pray you keep speaking to us. And building your church and advancing your kingdom in this city and in the nations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.